0: There some Bibles at the end of the pews, or end of the chairs, um, and our reading this morning can be found on page 1053 of the Bibles, and uh, it's chapter 19 of Luke, st- starting at verse 1, and then afterwards a piece from chapter 21, and it's headed Zacchaeus the Tax Collector. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked down and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now we're turning to chapter 21. Starting again at verse 1. The widow's offering. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put two very small copper coins in. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks very much, Ted. Good morning, everyone hope you are all well. And uh, I must admit, though, I was in a state of panic uh, between the nine o'clock service and this service because I managed to lose my sermon. (laughs) I don't think that's ever happened to me before. And uh, yes, as time went on, I kept searching, searching, couldn't find it. And um, it was only really right at the last minute that I actually found it. So uh, apologies for that if I am... Affected by that in such in some way, but we're doing uh, as you know Gift Day today, and I want to start just by thanking everyone uh, for what, all that you give and all that you contribute to the life of St Paul's, whether that's in treasure, talents, or the other T, which I've forgotten. <laughs> Time, very good, <laughs> excellent. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm getting so much help from the congregation today. I clearly need it. Okay, so we ha- all give in some ways, and today is about giving more specifically uh, financial giving, but not exclusively so. And we understand and we really appreciate uh, the pressures that everyone is under. Okay, so gift days. What do we think of them? Well, some people don't look forward to them. Some people don't turn up to them. But I I want to say that having been through, this is my fourth gift day here at St. Paul's, I think they're a fantastic thing why because some really significant uh, projects get built or done and we can actually see evidence all around us can't we this church beautiful but it must have have required so much sacrifice from the people that built it and contributed to it and then just over there we've got the church center now this is within living memory who was here when that church center was built okay quite a few hands now, I've heard the story from many different people, uh, but what I, what I want to say about it is that people really gave sacrificially, so much so that it took one weekend only for the money to be raised. And uh, this is a fantastic thing. People even sold their houses to allow that church centre to be built. And we would not be the church we are today with all of the activities and the children's and youth groups that we have if those people at that time had not given so generously. We enjoy their legacy today. And I want us to have those people in our minds as we prayerfully consider our response to our gift day this year. For we too have an opportunity to leave a legacy and help build something. But for us, the thing that we're building is not bricks and mortar. It's a new community that can thrive and flourish in deep culture. Now, the great news about the arrangements for that new church uh, when it comes is that we're not responsible for building the church. The church already exists. The army are going to refurbish it. The developers are going to play for a church centre rather like ours here. And we don't need to contribute to that. Believe me, that is a huge relief. But our job is to really take that opportunity that those buildings will provide. Forty years since we last planted a church here at St. Paul's, we have the opportunity to do it again. And I want to say that is a fantastic thing to be doing. This village that's going to grow up called Mindenhurst, we have the vision that the planting minister, Daniel, and that the planting team and those from St. Barbara's already uh, part of that church will be welcoming every single person that comes into that village. And that church can be the centre of everything that happens there. What an opportunity that is and what an exciting thing that is. So we'd love everyone to be part of it, whether you're called to join the planting team or whether actually you're called to continue uh, in ministry here in St. Paul's. For hopefully what we've learned from this sermon series on Mission with Jesus and from the training that Jens from the Diocese gave us the last few weeks hopefully we've learned that we all have a role in growing the kingdom and we're all called to step out in faith wherever Jesus leads us. And that's why we were so delighted so many came to those training sessions, learning about how the important thing is that we do church with people, getting alongside them where they're at, rather than simply church for people, where we expect people to come to us. It's quite a subtle shift but it's an important shift because in Deep Cut, very few people there will be used to going to a church. We need to get alongside them where they're at, inviting them to our homes, doing activities outside the church with them to earn the right to hopefully one day see them come in. Okay, so that's uh, a little bit about uh, the Deep Cut project and how it's going to get built. And uh, it is so liberating to know that our job is all about human resources. Yes, we're going to uh, be resourcing mission activities that we do from next month right through to the opening of the church, probably in September 2020. But really, the main thing that we're giving today uh, is for the deep-cut church plant, but in particular for the human resources that can make it happen. What we're trying to do through what we raise today is to build capacity for running services like this one, with all the children's groups going on alongside it, with a band leading the worship that we had this morning. And yet to do that, we've got to increase our capacity. We need to raise up more people so that we're able to do there what we love doing here. And that's going to mean sacrifices. It's not going to be easy. It will mean people leaving the church family here and going to a church in the first few years that's going to be much smaller. And yet, what a precious thing that is, to be there at the beginning, to be one of the people who made church happen in that village where otherwise it would not have happened. Okay, so we're going to turn to the Bible now. You heard the two readings, and I've chosen today to tackle this topic of thinking about giving through the lens of two individuals that we heard read about in the readings. Who are they? Well, um, one was very rich. The other was very poor. One was high profile in the community. The other was very low profile. One was deeply religious. And the other one most certainly was not. Yet they both stand as examples of how to respond to Jesus. Not just spiritually, but financially too as well. Okay, so... On with the story, starting with Zacchaeus, almost certainly the most famous short person in the Bible. Apart from children, I can't think of anyone who's so well known for his height or lack of it. And he must also be a contender, I have to say, for the most unlikely convert of the New Testament as well. Because the impression Luke gives in his account is that uh, Zacchaeus was very much persona non grata. Not because of his wealth per se, but because of how he had obtained it and all the people that he had exploited along the way. For he was a tax collector who were hated for colluding with the Romans who oppressed uh, the Israelites in many ways. And worse still, he was a chief tax collector, almost certainly corrupt, as his promises to Jesus and the crowd uh, implied uh, a little bit later in the story. And the context of this encounter is Jesus nearing the end of his ministry. He's actually on his way to Jerusalem, where he will be arrested and killed. And so by this time, Jesus was very famous. He was a household name all over Israel. So we shouldn't be surprised that even Zacchaeus would want to see him. Even Zacchaeus would want to know what was all the fuss about. But for Zacchaeus, there were, of course, two significant barriers for that happening. One was his height, the other his rejection by his community. So what does he do? Well as every child in uh, children's groups knows he climbs a tree which must have been great fun if you were 12 or 14 but if you were 43 and a target for abuse and hatred it was a bit more risky and potentially humiliating as well. And I have to say, if he's trying to not be noticed, which may well have been his motivation, Jesus certainly blows his cover, doesn't he? For when he stops, he reaches, uh, he reaches Zacchaeus and, and says to him astonishingly, given they'd never met before, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus, despite the shock of what Jesus has said and the shock of the onlookers Horrified that Jesus would do this, he comes straight down and at once welcomes Jesus gladly. Why? What was the significance of this moment for Josichias? It was surely that a man who felt ostracized by his society, who was loathed and feared in equal measure, suddenly discovered that God had not rejected him. Zacchaeus, a man universally condemned as a sinner, as the mutterings of the crowd watching him made clear, was being forgiven and invited into God's family. And that would have blown his mind. Now I'm inclined to believe that Zacchaeus exercised at least some faith in this encounter Given how Jesus responds to him. Maybe he had already concluded on the basis of what he'd heard about Jesus and the company Jesus kept. Maybe he had thought, maybe Jesus might even welcome me. And it might be that that led him to climb the tree. Anyway, either way, so when Zacchaeus gladly responds to the request to stay with him, I suspect he knows at that moment that he's been forgiven. For in his joy and wonder, what Jesus had done for him, redeeming him in the eyes of the community, his heart seems clearly to have changed. For Zacchaeus, this tight, greedy, unprincipled man, counting his money in countless uh, children's Bibles, is now a man transformed. Standing up, he says in the hearing of the crowd, look, Lord, here and now I give my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And so here in our final passage of the series, we see Zacchaeus using the same word that Peter had used in the very first passage, in the very first sermon, after that miraculous catch of fish. In both cases, there's a conviction of sin. In the case of Peter, he falls to his knees and says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. In the case of Zacchaeus, it's immediately offering retribution to make right his wrongs. And generously too, as the Jewish law required. And this was Jesus' verdict. As the crowd surrounded, I'm really struggling with the fact that Zacchaeus is having this honour of having Jesus to his house to stay. And this was Jesus' verdict. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is Jesus' mission statement. And if we follow Jesus, it's ours, too. And anything we're asked to give, financially, in time, or gifts, or treasures should have that in mind. Our calling as believers is to seek and save the lost as well. So, that's the key. Let's now turn to the woman we heard read about a couple of chapters later in Luke 21. Now, she's a woman barely noticed by others, as I've said, but she's known to Jesus and her Heavenly Father. And this time, the scene isn't Jericho, it's the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus is with his disciples watching The rich people put their gifts into the temple treasury. But then he sees a poor widow putting in two very small copper coins. And Jesus, miraculously knowing her heart and her poverty, says these affirming words. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So what should we make of this? The implication, I think, is that she offers this gift willingly. Not Jesus, not at Jesus's or anyone else's request. We have to say it is an extraordinary act of devotion and faith. And the faith exercised in giving all that she had to live on was that God would provide for her as indeed the, the community, the Jewish religious community, should have done as a widow without anyone, any family to help her. And yet the willingness to still give something in this lady, even in such great poverty, is held up by Jesus and indeed elsewhere in Scripture as the right thing to do and through which we, if we give generously, can be blessed. And that might be because God could reward us materially in some unexpected way. Now, I've heard of that happening fairly commonly in the experiences of individuals that I know and certainly in the experiences of Christian ministries that I know who live by faith, trusting God to provide one day or one week at a time. Now, we may not be in that situation. This is a wealthy area. And yet, her example, this, this poor widow... Has more relevance to us corporately when we actually look at it being worked out in the example of a church, and in the uh, in perhaps the in 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 two Corinthians, probably the best known example of a church in poverty giving generously is the one in Macedonia. You might have heard of it. Let me read uh, briefly what Paul says about them in two Corinthians eight. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God. "'has given the Macedonian churches. "'In the midst of a very severe trial, "'their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty "'welled up in rich generosity. "'For I testify they gave as much as they were able "'and even beyond their ability. "'Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us "'for the privilege of sharing in this service "'to the Lord's people. "'And they exceeded our expectations.'" Why? Why? why did they do it? Well, the answer Paul gives is they had an overflowing joy. This is what he said uh, just a little bit later. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So what did the Macedonian church have in their poverty? They knew that they'd been rescued. They knew that Jesus loved them. They knew that Jesus had died for them. And they knew that that was the most important thing in the world and in their lives. And if we want to give generously, well, we need to remind ourselves that we too were lost and have been found. We too were sinners separating, separated from God by the barrier of our sin. And that we too can now be part of God's family because Jesus died for us. So these are the biblical principles on which a Christian understanding of giving should be based. Let me now share with you in the final part of the sermon the needs and challenges we face in this church now and in the future as we seek to build the capacity for ministry both here and at St. Barbara's the church plant. And as far as our current needs are concerned, this may for many of us uh, seem like new information, although it was implicit in the summary that Howard gave at the APCM. However, the situation has become more urgent, hence our need to draw it to your attention again now. And the main issue I want to share with you is that we're in a tight spot financially right now because the Mindenhurst deep cut Church plant has taken much longer to come online than we or the diocese expected. When it launches, in addition to the developers and the army investing in the building that I referred to earlier, the diocese is actually willing to invest over three quarters of a million pounds, which is fantastic, to give the church plant the best possible start. That money will go towards the cost of providing a vicarage and also a stipend and pension for the planting minister for five years. But there were delays in getting those building costs agreed. Actually, two or three years of negotiations, although that's now been sorted, praise God. We're still sadly waiting for outline planning permission, but again, we expect that to come, hopefully in a month or two. When it does come, though, the diocese will then start looking for a vicarage for Daniel and his family to live in, and then three months before the church plant is ready to be launched, which we hope will be June or July next year, with a September or October start. Well, from that point, Daniel's uh, stipend will largely be paid by the diocese, and that five years of funding will kick in. So we've got that to look forward to, which will be a positive financial situation for us as a church. But in the meantime, because this project has been delayed by more than a year, that's the reason we've ended up in a financially tight place. And it's put a lot of pressure on our finances in this intervening period. This report, as I've said, should start in the summer of 2020. But it's left us with potentially the best part of a year without enough income to meet our expenditure. Now, we know actually, if you look at the accounts for this year so far, there is enough coming in to pay for what's going out. But that's based on the practice that some people in the church uh, give their tithe or whatever it might be once a year rather than every month and they tend to give it in the first half of the year. So based on that precedent, we think in the second half of the year that our income won't cover all our expenditure and that obviously is a major problem. We predict we're likely to have a shortfall at the end of this year of around £22,000 leaving our cash reserves dangerously low. Now, that's the the bad news. Uh, I just want to tell you what we're doing about it and uh, what we plan to do about it going forward. We're monitoring the situation closely, particularly on the PCC. We actually have launched a new finance committee that met for the first time last Tuesday. And they will look at forward planning our finances, how we communicate that to the congregation. And it's early days, of course, but we're confident those people in that committee will will really help us going forward. We're also working with the diocese to speed up the start date of their support in terms of the salary costs and housing for Daniel. We're encouraged by their response, but there's still some work to be done on this. At the very least, we need planning consent for the church centre before the diocese is willing to buy a house. And we're also reviewing what we charge for external events or activities using our church building, whether it's the church centre, the hall, or anything else. Looking at whether we can actually increase our income by comparing what we charge compared to other churches in the area. And we've also, fourthly, identified some areas where expenditure may need to be reduced in the next 12 months. We are a very blessed church, and many of you will know is that we bless others giving away 25% of our income for external mission. We want to keep doing that and it's something many in this church are proud of and really, really want to see continue. But we may need to review that if we fall short of what we need to raise from this gift day over the next few weeks. So, what would we like you to do? Can I ask you to consider standing with us for the next 12 months to see us through to that point in which Daniel's costs are largely met by the Diocese of Guildford? Or would you make a one-off gift to support our work until that Mindenhurst plant comes online? Now, you've been given various handouts, haven't you? Is that right? So, so together with your notice sheet, you should have a little uh, booklet, a uh, folded, a thin booklet, all about uh, this gift day. And actually, you should also have been given a a gift aid form as well. That's right. Splendid, which Mike Fugerman has put together for us. So you've got everything you need there. uh, But in addition to all of that, on uh, probably Wednesday, I will be emailing out to the church more detailed information that lies behind what's on that leaflet and what I've covered in the sermon today. In your own time, please do have a good look at it and pray about how you may be able to respond. Now, in terms of the amount that we're looking for in this uh, gift day, it's 50,000 pounds. It's a lot of money in total, but because of the size of this church, it actually only amounts to about seven pounds per week for each giver, which Sophie tells me is just the cost of two and a half cups of coffee. There we go. Not Not easy to buy half cups of coffee, but... That it does rather bring it home, doesn't it? This isn't a massive sacrifice, particularly for those of us who are coffee drinkers, but uh, if we're not, I'm sure we've got similar things that we like to, to have each week. So we're looking for 50000 over the next few months, and uh, we'll, what we'll be covering uh, through that 50000 will be uh, the money that we spend on employing Daniel, especially in the ministry that he starts to take on in Deep Cut. We're also hoping that we can use that money to invest in our youth work and worship ministry. Youth work, because obviously as Daniel does more in Deep Cut, he has to do less here. And we know from past experience that when we have a gap between one youth minister to another, one youth director to a youth worker, whatever it might be, if there's a gap, we lose the young people. Most of them don't come back. So we're absolutely determined not to let that happen this time So we need to fill that, but we also would love, if we're able, potentially to have someone who can help us in the worship area as well, and sometimes there are people who can do both. And the other thing you may not know is Dave Batt, our caretaker, Uh, will be retiring in August, so we'll be looking to uh, replace him uh, working both here and in the church plant as well. Okay, so the £50,000 would have two benefits of developing our worship provision at St. Paul's, as well as ensuring that we have continuity in the leadership of our youth ministry here, and of course, in providing for the worship and teaching and all the other things that go into making a service happen, which here, it's estimated is 40 people are involved making a service happen. So we need lots of people in that planting team and, and who join that church plant when it opens to step up and fill those gaps, and play their part in allowing this new church to succeed. So, to conclude, all in all, it's a very exciting vision, and the opportunity to put a church in the centre of this Mindenhurst village is one that we can't possibly pass over. But at the same time, we are in a financial situation that needs to be addressed, and needs to be addressed now, without us getting into pretty serious problems. Okay, now I've got three slides that are going to come onto the screen now. If we can have the next one, please. Here are three things that you can do that fit neatly around our three vision priorities of praying, connecting, and growing. So first, to pray. Pray for the opportunities and challenges that we face. Prayerfully consider how you can respond. Then secondly, connect. Be part of the resourcing of this mission. Read and reflect on what's needed and play your part. And ask questions too. If you've got questions about what I've shared, I'd be delighted to give answers to that. If you want to talk to me after the service, I'd be happy to put the answers to whatever questions I'm asked on my email together with uh, the information about uh, this gift day uh, so that everyone gets to hear the answer to that too. Okay, so to grow finally, in your understanding of stewardship and to grow in your contribution to our needs, whether that's financially or in some other way. So, how does the gift day relate to us? The gift day is the thing that's going to prepare us to plant the church. The gift day is the thing that's going to unlock the potential that this church Plant has. This gift day is what's going to move this church from a precarious financial situation to one that's far more stable and positive and ensure that the future ministry both here through St. Paul's and in deep cut through St. Barbara's is everything that God wants it to be. Amen. So I'm going to hand over to Howard who's just going to tell us a little bit about the practicality